Hey there. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. So you're a leader. You love and lead women so that they know God more and mature in their faith. And you hope that these women that you're loving and leading and investing in, that they could face really hard things without throwing in the spiritual towel. You know what I mean? Like that's our goal is just stay with Jesus. And that's a big part of why we invest in these women, right? So that they will stay the course. But today we're not talking about that. We're actually talking about the opposite. Let's talk today about when the women that we love and lead stall out and their spiritual growth. You know what I mean by that, right? Like, yeah, plateau is a nice word. But what about these women who, for Pete's sake, it's like they just aren't growing in Christ? Or they were growing, 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 and suddenly you're seeing something weird. How do we explain that? Is that okay? Like, what do we think about that? Or women where, you know, we'll get into all this, but their spiritual maturity is kind of surprising that they're so immature in Christ after following God for decades and decades and decades. What's up with all this? That's what we want to talk about is why faith doesn't seem to stick or grow for some people. Like why have women who've been growing and growing and growing in their spiritual life, why do some peter out? What's normal? What's not? What's up with all that? And for us as leaders, what on earth do we do? There's so much to talk about. Let's do this. You're listening to the Leader Lab podcast, a podcast that inspires women to step up and step out in leadership to fulfill their God-given callings. My name is Andy Bruce, and I'm so passionate about helping women develop their character and understand their callings that I went out and got a doctorate in leadership. Now I'm investing in and partnering with women leaders just like you who love Jesus and raise their hand saying, God, if you're looking for someone to use, I'm right here. So let's talk about how. How? How do we step into what that looks like? So I've been actually thinking about this a lot in the last, I don't know, two, three weeks, maybe four weeks. And here's my thought. When it comes to spiritual growth, a couple things. One is what we're really talking about is faith development, right? When we talk about spiritual growth, when that could mean for us, I'm going to start with basics, spending time with God, growing in our spiritual gift, obeying, uh, the amount of time it takes us to obey, um, being in community, dealing with sin in a healthy and appropriate manner. In other words, we're talking confession, asking for prayer, uh, doing accountability. When we're talking about loving and leading other women, it means that we've grown to an extent that we feel somewhat comfortable of leading other women and walking them through the things that God has taught us and that scripture says. When we talk about spiritual growth, it's also not only a knowledge of what scripture says, but the Holy Spirit's revelation of what scripture means in the moment. So for me, I've been thinking about what is spiritual growth? And I would say those things that I just mentioned are the characteristics of spiritual growth. You guys, obviously, there's a gazillion more of them. But I would say those are, for me, the things that are top of mind. And when I think about what's happening in a woman's spiritual development, 
those are the easy things to point at because there's things that in general happen on the exterior. But I think the fuel behind all of it has to do with a person's faith. Because if that faith is not growing, developing, and maturing, you're not going to see those things growing, developing, and maturing. If a person's faith stays stagnant, you're not going to see any more. So catch this because this is a big part of our conversation today. We often measure spiritual growth by the exterior things that we see. But what we really mean is what's happening internally so that there's those characteristics growing, maturing, even if a person's stumbling around, well, at least they're taking the risk. So for me, what we're going to be talking about today is the level of spiritual growth that happens or doesn't happen and the role that faith plays. Oh my goodness, you guys, I'm kind of dying to tell you about today. And I don't know, sometimes I'm all jazzed up as far as filled with joy to share with you some things I'm learning or connect some dots and get to express those. But today, I don't know, there's kind of a different feeling in my gut and I wouldn't say it's joy. In fact, the feeling is more like, whoa, and I don't mean W-H-O-A, like, whoa, watch out. I mean, whoa, W-O-E, like, whoa, here's what's happening regarding some problems. And if we listen carefully, maybe it's going to help us avoid some of the issues that we're going to talk about today. So I'm super excited, though, because for me, this topic is really, um, I've been fleshing this out actually for some time, and this has been spinning around in my mind, we're going to get some real high in the sky stuff happening that I'll walk you through. Then we're going to unpack that high in the sky stuff. And then we're going to get really, really, really practical. Because what we want to do is say, okay, so if there are problems happening, how do we as women address it? So let's jump in. You know, when there's somebody who, um, I've done this so many times. Have you ever put a woman into leadership too fast? So let me give you a context. Maybe there's a woman who, I don't know, a year or two ago accepted Christ and it was jaw dropping. There was automatic transformation because of her openness and God's mercy toward her of just transformative work. And you've seen her lean in and lean in and lean in and even lean into others, not even really knowing what she's doing, but because that person that she's working with or loving on is experiencing God, they are receiving from her. So in particularly in church areas, we just do this. We're like, wow, look at all the fruit that God's doing in that person's life. Let's bring her into leadership. Okay, it can't just be me that's done this, right? But I have. I've totally done this. My question for us that maybe we'll start to touch on today is what happens to that person spiritually when there's total growth, 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 because God's just moving, and then we put them in leadership too quickly? What happens to their faith? And I want to talk about that. Here's another example so that we're all on the same page about what the problem or what the context looks like. When a woman is just growing in her faith and she's growing and she's experiencing God, what she brings to you about her 
time with God and her insights and how she's praying and how she's loving and serving. I mean, it's just like a dream come true to watch this. And you're like, wow, I want some of that. Like drip on me a little bit, share the wealth, because this woman is just marvelously growing in her faith. But then and this, this could be slow or it could be in rapid pace. Something seems to change and that growth that she experienced for a long time seems to stop and dry up. And suddenly she's like, I can't hear God. I open the Bible and it's like nothing's happening or I'm trying. I'm going to just try harder and try harder because what happens is she starts panicking and panicking always makes you desperate to do more, try more, think more, figure this out, right? What's going on with that? Here's another example. Oh, this one kills me. Ever wonder about awesome kids who grow up in the church? Like picture them right now, that those awesome kids that maybe you've taught in Sunday school, maybe you've watched them just grow up, maybe you've heard stories about them because of their mom and dad, and you've watched them be baptized, and they're just incredible kids who grow up in the church. And then there's that terrible statistic that says most of these kids who grew up in the church are not going to return to their faith. Don't you hate that? Oh my gosh, it like makes me have a visceral reaction right now because it it feels like an injustice. My question for us today is, what happened? We saw these incredible kids growing up in the church, just loving God, serving, leaning in, getting baptized, saying yes and yes and yes. And I don't think this stat is at a left field. Why aren't they returning to faith in Christ Jesus in the church? What happens? So now let's make this really personal. Uh, in my own development, these days, and I mean my spiritual and faith-based development, in the last year or something, I've been just casually wondering, where am I? Like, is there a spectrum? Are there phases or stages or levels or something like that that's categorical where I could see, oh, there there I am. I'm, I'm making stuff up now. I'm on stage five because stage five, one was this, stage two is this, stage three and four were this, and oh, okay, that's where I am. And here's what I can expect and anticipate in the future. I've literally, for about the last year, been wondering, I wonder in my own personal spiritual growth, faith development, and as a leader, where am I? Am I tracking? Am I lingering? Am I not progressing like I should? I've just wondered this. And so friends, that's why I'm super psyched to share with you this stuff because one, as leaders, it's really important that we understand the problems that we're seeing around us and understand how to think about the problems. Because if we don't understand what the real problems are, then we're not going to move toward good, solid solutions. And in this conversation, I think if we understand these fundamental operational um, this, it's literally a theory. If we understand that it's going to create less panic and we're going to have some tools about what to do when we see people petter out or when we see slower growth than what even we would expect to happen. So that's what we're talking about. For me, I feel like every woman who leads women just, oh, this has been eye-opening for me. So I'm super excited to share it with you.
So here's the background. Part of my job is to be a chair over a PhD student's dissertation. What that means is if there's a PhD student, in order to finish the program, they have to write a dissertation, which means they have to conduct a study. It's super research-based. There's the scientific method, all of these best practices. It's so much fun. And they have to test something, figure out what the results are, and then write it in a dissertation. My job is the chair, which means that I'm sort of acting as the coach or the boss of that student's research. So about a year and a half ago, I was assigned a student. He's from Southern California. It's really interesting. There's a fun connection there. I attended a very small Bible college, like maybe 350 students. I mean, really, really, really small. And we didn't know each other from Adam, but it turns out that this student that's been assigned to my chair caseload is teaching. He's a professor at that same Bible college. Small world, right? So I start reading his work about a year and a half ago, and it's fascinating. Absolutely a fascinating topic. His topic is about the spiritual development of college students, since he works at a college, a Bible college. And in research, you have to have a theory that supports or undergirds the research idea. In other words, you have to be able to say, here's what I think this theory is what I think is explaining what the problem is or what the solution might be. So for about a year and a half, I've been reading this particular theory called Fowler's Faith Development Theory. Fowler, like F-O-W-L-E-R. So Fowler's theory, you guys, this is super interesting. Okay, the big picture is this. In the social sciences, remember growing up how you would hear about developmental approaches? Actually, they're really famous people. You may recognize names Piaget, Kohlberg, and what some guys who are super bright in like the 1960s and 70s is they said, okay, we're seeing patterns of how children develop. So one guy said, here's how children develop when it comes to their growth. Another guy said, well, here's a theory of how children develop when it comes to their cognitive thinking. Another guy said, here's how children develop when it comes to moral and ethical decision making. By the way, if you're older, remember in youth group way back in the day, it was like these games we would play about ethical decision making. So if you're with a refugee and there's only one bag of bread, what do you do? You remember those kind of things? Well, all of those are really surfacing around this time. So way back when. So this guy, Fowler, he said, well, if those things are true of how children develop with cognitive thinking and growth and ethics, what happens with their spiritual faith development? So just to connect some dots, when in the social sciences, we see a behavior and we're going to start to do some research about it, what we want to do is apply a theory to it. And a theory is super simple. It just says this, here's the best explanation, the theory for the behavior that we see. Why do we think the behavior is happening? Well, maybe this theory is helpful. One really cool about James Fowler's faith development theory is it stood the test of time here. 
granted, it's only since 1981, but think about all the modern research that's happened between 81 and here we are in 2023. So now what we're seeing is a ton of researchers or a ton of thinkers or a ton of normal people are building off of Fowler's theory and it's holding. And it doesn't mean every part's accurate. You'll see that in a little bit and you'll some people might be like, well, my experience wasn't quite like that. Maybe it was a little nuanced or this happened or in a different order. But in general, this theory, it holds water. And what I like about it, it's really, really simple. So here's how I'm going to explain it. There's technically seven stages, but I'm going to tell you not really all seven of the theory. And there are specific ages that cover different stages. So how I'm going to explain it is we're going to do it like this, because if you were here, I would show you the visuals to it, but you're not here. So instead, I'm going to do this kind of in a narrative fashion, and we're going to start with a teeny baby, and then we're going to go all the way up to a person who's, I don't know, 65 or 75 years old, and we'll walk through for that one person what the stages can look like. So stage one, we have a baby. Think of just a regular baby. And for because we're women, let's make it a female baby. This baby is zero to two years old, and it's doing all the baby things. There's a specific name. And by the way, I'm just going to ignore all that. They're very technical names. So this baby's in stage. Actually, this is called stage zero. Because if you think about it, there's not a whole lot of faith elements that a zero to two-year-old are going to experience. But what we know is this, the idea of nurture and trust are fundamental. And if that baby's receiving nurturing, and if that baby has this reciprocal relationship with the parent where the baby naturally trusts that it's going to be taken care of, of course, we know just logically and based off of those other theories we mentioned, this baby's going to be much more primed for receiving or having a positive view of faith later on. So that one's easy. There's not much to say there. Therefore, it's called stage zero because there's not much happening. Now let's get to stage one. In this stage, that same baby girl is now between the ages of three to seven years old. And one key thing that we will see that's happening in a little girl, a really little girl, is this intuitive understanding of good and evil. It's so amazing. And if we're believers, we would say, of course, God's creation, we mod or we reflect his image. And so, of course, there's this intuitive understanding or deposit from God in human nature of an understanding of good and evil. So that's a key element that we'll see that has to do with the spiritual development of a kid's faith. By the way, James Fowler would not say faith as in a Christian faith, although he comes from a Christian perspective. He's defining faith as anything that's worthwhile for a person to construct in their mind what they believe and the actions that occur because they believe that thing. We, for the sake of this conversation, are thinking of it, though, in terms of Christian faith. But just so you know, the theory defines faith as something that somebody is constructing in their mind what they believe, and therefore there's going to be evidence of that in their life. So back to this stage one for this three to seven-year-old little girl, what we do see is fantasy and reality are the same, 
And so think about that with spiritual stories that this little girl's learning and hearing. This idea of Jonah and the whale, a big, huge whale, makes total sense because fantasy and reality, there's not really a distinction. So it doesn't uh, rock her world like it does later on with adults that God could send a giant whale or a big, big fish to swallow Noah to teach him a lesson. In fact, for a three to seven year old, this makes perfect sense and fits into their narrative or idea about God very nicely. But on the other hand, this idea of reality about who God is, it's not there yet because in a three to seven year old, there's not the ability to make connections or have a concrete thinking because this child has fantasy and reality for their thinking and doesn't quite understand yet which is which. That's stage one. In stage two, this same little girl, now she's approximately seven to 12 years old. We're talking elementary years. And a key feature that we notice for this child is that she views God as a parent. God's a parent. Think of what this child, whether she's got good or bad parents, the parent role in her life is saying, no, 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 you don't do that. And if you do, there's a consequence or good girl. And of course, we know children, they want the pleasure of the parent. And so she's going to view God the same way as God tells me what's good and God tells me what's bad. There's a reward if I'm good and there's a punishment if I'm not. Some other observations we would make of this little uh, kid who's seven to 12 years old in stage two is There's not an ability to make abstract connections when it comes to their spirituality or really anything. Instead, we're going to see logical, concrete thoughts and literal interpretations of religious stories. So let's put some skin on that for this little girl. She hears the story about Jesus on the cross dying for her sin and the sin of the world and the blood of Jesus. Well, for her blood can have really big uh, meaning because the blood of, you know, the blood takes away sin. And so maybe this kid thinking literally has an unusual idea about blood, especially when we talk about it at church, that as adults, we would laugh and say, "Uh it's cute because she so misunderstands the nuance, the imagery, the symbolism, because she's stuck in concrete thinking. So in stage two, what we see is concrete thought and literal interpretations of religious stories. Now we're going to go to stage three. And in this stage, we're talking adolescence. So think ages approximately 12 to 18. Again, it's just a theory. So these can ebb and flow a little bit. But in general, we're talking teenage years. A key feature for this little girl as she grows up when it comes to her faith is she is going to easily adopt the religious beliefs of others. In fact, the more that she has a relationship with someone, the more she's going to adopt their religious beliefs about God. So we're going to see this aspect of imitating the faith of those around the child. She's going to say, oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, that's what you're supposed to do. 
And I remember experiencing this even as a kid, being in a worship service as a very young teenager, maybe 13, maybe 12, and seeing other adults in the church that I grew up in raising their hands in worship. And I remember looking at them and thinking, that is so strange. I wonder why their hands are up in the air. Well, look how his hands are. Oh, her hands. Oh, her. They look pretty like that. And eventually, no longer literally thinking, but recognizing, oh, this is a symbol of wanting God. And then I began to experiment with that. Well, I am absolutely unconvinced unless I saw that behavior taking place through the demonstrated faith of adults around me and people that I trusted and knew. I'm not sure I would have ever done that myself. So in this stage, there's lots of imitation and there's easy adoption of the religious beliefs of those around the child. Now, let's talk about the thinking that happens. Rather than that literal concrete thinking of the stage before, now we're going to see this formal construction of thought process or the literature would call it formal operational thinking process. In other words, there's ideas already out there and this child's able to grab those ideas and start thinking about them for his self or for herself. Now with that thinking come some questions. Think about where the stage and age of a teenager is and how they question values, they question beliefs. And James Fowler would say the same is true with the spiritual formation. There is a questioning of what does my religion value and what am I supposed to believe and do I believe that? This is all in an attempt, this theory says, to form an identity for this teenage child. Well, do I believe that? And if so, how does that shape who I am? Well, if I reject that, then it's not going to shape who I am. Well, then what does that mean for me? And it's why we see teenagers trying on different identities, different outfits, hairstyles, makeup things. And we could see that swing from one to the other. All of this fits into the what we would call the natural development of a teenager. Uh In this stage, Fowler says something interesting that a a 12 to 18 year old will demonstrate a hunger for God, but not just any God, a hunger for a God who knows them and accepts them. Well, think about that and let's connect those dots. If we have a teenager who's expressing, well, who am I? Well, what do I look like? Well, what do I want to look like? Well, if I'm going to be a good Christian girl, then I'm probably going to dress like a good Christian girl. Or if I don't believe or don't have relationship with those who believe and I'm going to reject what the parents or what an uncle or what a teacher around them feels about God, then it's not just that I'm going to reject their construct of God, my physical being is also going to look different than what they want me to. So we see this happening. But Fowler says that over and over again, the desire for somebody in this stage is simple when it comes to God. They want a God who knows them and accepts them. In the midst of their questioning values, questioning beliefs, questioning their identity, what they want is somebody who's going to accept them no matter how those forms change. So a couple other things about this. People know things in this stage. They know things when it comes to God or what they believe. And they behave as if those things are true, but they cannot tell others They can't even explain to themselves how they know something is true. 
There's not the ability to move beyond the basics. They, so I'm going to say that again, people know things and they behave as if those things are totally true, but they don't have the formation or the expressions or the articulations, really the critical thinking to tell why or how they know that something is true. Because what they're doing is they're imitating the faith of those around them. So here's one other thing that's really interesting to me in this stage three faith. The contradictions between what is their reality and what their belief systems are, they don't want to face them. If there's a gap between real life and what somebody's telling them about God, all that space in between is ignored because they're afraid of the threat of inconsistencies. Doesn't that make sense? And I hope you can go back in your memory and remember when you were in this stage three, where you were absolutely doing what the people next to you said was good. If you had people that you trusted and liked and felt accepted, then you're probably going to accept what they believe about God. But I remember being in the stage and recognizing the fact that there were really good people going to hell. And I mean, really nice, quality people, some of them better than the Christians next to me, or that good people were suffering. And this is what I mean when in this stage, we see these contradictions between reality and one's beliefs. And I'll tell you personally, I absolutely remember kind of burying my head in the sand going, I don't want to know. I don't want to know because I do like God. And if I find something out about God that I don't like, I just rather not see it. So there's a whole lot of growth. Did I mention, I can't remember if I mentioned or not. Oh my goodness. So interesting observations. (sighs) They're actually sad. Most adults are in this stage. Yep. You heard that right. Most adults are in stage three when it comes to their spiritual development. By the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned in stage two, which is age-wise, seven to 12 years old, where there's that super concrete and literal thinking, particularly about religion or abstract concepts. Some adults don't move beyond that stage, especially if there's trauma. They're going to just stay stuck there, and or maybe there's some neurocognitive blocks where moving past that's hard. But most adults do. They get past stage two. But here's what's crazy, my friends. Most adults don't move past stage three faith. And when we look at a typical, what happens at least in the uh, cognitive and the physical development and the ethical development, this is 12 to 18 year olds. We're talking teenagers. But when it comes to spiritual faith, we're saying that most adults are stuck like a 16 year old when it comes to their faith. And they're stuck in processes They're stuck in belief systems that are very um, safe. They are very restricted when it comes to nuances and peculiarities. So here's what happens. If most adults are stuck in this stage, let's talk about how the church mingles here. Actually, think about this. this. This literally kind of pains my stomach to even say out loud. Churches love stage three adults. I'm wondering, I'm kind of giving some space for you to play with that idea. Churches love and really appreciate 
and rely on adults who are stage three when it comes to their spiritual development. The question is why? Why would that work for churches? Well, because these are people who are not going to question authority. Instead, they highly rely on authority to say, what do I do? Here's the problem. Just tell me what to do and I'll just do it. There's not a lot of thinking. So if there's not a lot of critical thinking or really much, if, if any at all, in these adults. So there's no critical thinking. There's a high reliance on authority. There's a reliance on the structure. Just tell me what to do. Oh, I take communion now and say, thank you, God, for saving me and forgive me of my sins that I did yesterday, especially the really bad ones. Anyway, moving on. There's a high reliance on stage three adults in the church and adult inst religious institutions would say that stage three years work best for the church. And most adults are in this stage. This tells us so much. Adults are reliant on religious structures and belief systems and religious authorities. Just tell me what's right about God. Just tell me what to do about him. I'm going to look to my left and right and be like, oh, so that's what faith looks like. Okay, I'll do that. Oh my goodness, can you see how beneficial, I say that in quotes, how beneficial this is for the church when it comes to our leadership, which which I consider myself part of just big picture church leadership. We, I'm going to talk in extremes here and put quotes around this. We prefer people to not push back. We can get real uncomfortable when people start asking very hard questions or saying, hey, why is this how we're doing this when this is changed or when this just doesn't seem authentic? Uh, so can you see how convenient stage three Christians are for organized religions? Oh my goodness, there's so much to unpack here. One of the major hurdles for stage three is um, the inability to think differently, uh, the inability to push back and wonder and get on the fringes of the beliefs and, and push that. There's real discomfort. But the problem is for us leaders is that if so many of the people that we're interacting with are stuck in stage three, man, have we got a lot to learn. So let's just sort of bullet out some thoughts that I've been having about in terms of leaders like you and I, how do we lead women in who are in stage three and what could it look like for them to transition to state from stage three to stage four? So before we jump into, hey, as leaders, let's do this or be mindful of this and definitely don't do that and a really practical on the ground sense, what we first want to do is let's go back to the theory of this. So don't be on the ground for a moment. Let's come back up a couple notches and just talk big picture and theory. We know just like we would never rush a child who's, say, nine years old. We would never say, hey, you know, in about the next month, I really want you to, I want to hear evidence of your voice changing. So I want you to lean into that and think about that and pray on that and do some research and, you know, let me know what's happening we would never say that. Why? Because that is rushing the process and it's not natural. Not only is it not natural, but to put those expectations in a little kid's head sets them up for failure. We would never do this like, hey, um, by about summertime, I want to see some hair on your legs, little guy. 
We would never say that it's inappropriate, it's wrong. Uh, and we know that a voice changing and hair growing on his legs is a natural outcome. So now take these concepts and let's apply it to this spiritual faith development process. We have to be really careful not to rush the process for people. And you're going to know that you're rushing it because this person is incapable of growing hair on their legs and having their voice change. It's so many steps ahead compared to where they're actually at. And I think as leaders, we do this even without realizing it because for I'll put me in my shoes here because for me, I could be working with a young leader and feel like, man, she is, there's character, there's eagerness, there seems to be authenticity and she's doing all the quote unquote right things for where she is right now. And because it looks right. And actually, if I compare it with another friend who's way further down the line and who using Fowler's theory is several stages ahead of where she's at, the problem is both outcomes can look semi-similar. In other words, there's character in both. There's eagerness for God. There's the disciplines being reflected. Uh, there's good conversation. There's authenticity. Look, those are the same outcomes in both people. But the problem is, as I look closer and examine fully and lean in to listen a little bit more or listen to what's not being said, and the younger leader or any young woman, that's where it could start to show the gaps. So listen for the gaps. We know what those gaps are. Somewhat of a, let's just rush the process when it comes to repentance. We're just going to rush the process and get it over with. And perhaps there's a lack of a realization of how it hurts the person, uh, of how it hurts God's heart, of how the sin really is impacting others. And more like a, well, I'm, I am sorry. And I told God, hey, I'm really sorry. Moving on. That's a gap. That's a weakness and it's an immaturity that would certainly reflect this stage three faith. Others of them would be exactly what we mentioned earlier. A belief to whatever extent it's firm. There's a belief in God and theology and, and the need for Christian concepts. Sure. But in that person buys into them and that person is actually operating out of them. But if you were to ask, hey, so talk to me about what, why do you think God has confession and repentance? Or why do you think communion is something that we're to remember and practice regularly? There's sort of a, an inability because it's the stage three. It's the inability to connect the dots as to, but why? They could tell you what, and they could certainly tell you how. Because they're regurgitating what's been told to them from pastors and from leaders and from mentors, maybe some books and YouTube videos, they can certainly regurgitate the what, the belief system, and they're looking to their left and to their right. They could certainly tell you how it looks, how it ought to look, and they could certainly tell you how it shouldn't look. But when you ask them to connect that idea or unpack those ideas, you're going to get a spiraling conversation which means kind of repeating the same couple points that they're confident about over and over without 
being able to articulate what, why, how, how it relates to other things. And that's, uh, so even though this person can look on the outside like they are further along than they really are, man, do we as leaders do a high disservice when we expect them to be in stage four or hitting the fringes of stage five. It would be the exact thing of saying to my little kid, hey, by summertime, I want to see hair on those legs, okay? They're incapable and it's unnatural to expect outcomes that they're just incapable of producing. So if we don't want to push stage three years too hard or too fast, just like we would never do that to our children, then my question is, well, what do we do? And I've got to say, I don't have a ton of thoughts on this, but I have a couple. So let me shoot those to you. First, as a leader, if I'm leading someone who's probably in stage three, and remember, most adults are. So if there was one pocket of people that you're going to be dealing with at least most frequently, it's stage three years. These stage three years rely on you and other voices. Man, does that tell us a whole lot. They're looking to you more than what you realize. I'm going to say this to me now. Andy, they're looking to me and they're watching me. They're listening to me. They're watching when I have no clue that they're watching. And what they're looking for is what should I be doing? What is she doing that I'm supposed to be doing? This is a really great and moldable stage of faith development. It reminds me of what Paul says where he's like, imitate me, imitate me. So my first question is, am I being a woman in my own spiritual faith development that is worthy of imitation, especially when I'm offline, especially when I'm in my own home with my kids alone, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm driving, like those susceptible places where we're sure nobody's watching. And these days, I tell my oldest teenage son this all the time. I'm like, Jeremiah, somebody is always watching you these days. You could take it to the bank. You could bet on it that with this day of media and cameras and ring doorbells, somebody is always watching. And it feels here as leaders, the same is true for us, is what we're saying is fully being heard and how we're behaving regarding what we're saying or not are fully being observed. And for me, it's like, oh Lord, may I live a life worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. Because whether I intend it or not, and especially in the environments where I don't intend to be listened to and observed, it's happening regardless. So for me, that's a first one, is because these ones are watching and they're looking to imitate because that's where they are in their faith. Oh Lord, may we be women who are worthy of that imitation. A second is to be observing. What are the gaps that I'm maybe not hearing, but if I'm going to listen and just sort of wonder what happens between the right answers, because this is another thing that's true about stage threeers. They want to give the right answers. Remember when I mentioned that they um, have a, a semi-black and white thinking system of their beliefs and values, and they want to, they don't know why or how they know what they know. Well, that's fine. Therefore, what they're going to do is they're going to give right answers. You're going to hear black and white thinking that's really black and white. There's no room for gray or subtlety or nuance or flexibility there. 
And in fact, how you're going to know that is um, even somebody who's operating in the black and not correctly, you will see it on their face and hear it in their voice. They are bad because they're behaving or thinking bad. And they will think to themselves, my job is to behave and think good. And instead, what I always do is push to that middle zone. And I remember with many, many girls that I've um, mentored over the years, there's such this black and white thinking. And I would always say, hey, find the middle. Let's look for the gray because it's never, ever as black and white as we assume it is, as we hope it is. So what would the gray look like here? And I would just pick their brain. And I got to say, watching the struggle of that, because it violates their own value system, but it also gets them to see a, a middle ground here because we know it's not all black and white and rarely is it black and white. Uh, another aspect is letting a stage three-er be a stage three-er for a while. I'm going to refer to the ages again, 12 to 18 years old. That's about seven years in here. In other words, this stage three process, it's not fast. And what I've watched over and over again is where I, as a leader, have rushed the process by putting somebody into leadership or putting somebody into teaching before they were spiritually mature enough to handle it for the long term. By the way, it was great in the moment. I'm not sure how helpful that was in their overall long-term process. I think this also happened to me is because I have the gift of blab and I was super willing and I wanted God. I was early on put into leadership. In many ways, that was so beneficial. You know, it gave me opportunities. I got to do gift development early on. I got to make mistakes in a really safe environment. But I would say there wasn't anyone saying, how's your heart these days? Um, what are you struggling with? What are you doing about that struggle? And looking past gifting or looking past what I'm presenting on the outside, because remember, I don't want to see the deeper layers. I don't want to see the gaps or the contradictions because of that threat of inconsistencies. And I wonder to what extent it would have made a difference for somebody in the midst of my growth to be going deeper for me because I was too afraid to do it myself because I didn't want to see what really lied beneath. I didn't really want to see what happened when God did bad things. Uh, that is way too scary. So these are things that we could do that are really subtle and that aren't going to provoke growth that's um, unnatural, but it is going to help a person get to some deeper layers in a way that is appropriate. It's to ask the why questions, the how questions. How do you think God thinks about a person who does that? Why do you think God behaves that way? Isn't that strange? I would behave this way. And I know I've heard this and that. What are your thoughts about that? And to just ask gentle exploration questions and especially to model this gray aspect and that sometimes we just don't know and that's okay. I think that's a huge help to people who are in stage three is modeling your own approach to tricky subjects without prescribing it, just describing here's, yeah, I've struggled with things like that too. It's this and it's this and it's this. And I gotta tell you after lots of exploration, 
some things I feel more confident on and some things I'm just unsure about. But here's what I actually know. I know that God is good. I know that he's for me. I know that I don't understand things and just get to trust. God, I don't understand them, but you do. Man, this kind of modeling goes, I think, for this stage a long way because you're inviting them to be more authentic by modeling authenticity in your own beliefs and your values in the ways that you have questions. So, hey, we only got through stage three. I think what we're going to do next time is talk about the transition for a person from stage three to stage four. You guys, it's going to blow your minds. For me, I'm like, this makes so much more sense. So let's talk about that transition. I'll describe stage four and then some major things to know about leading people in stage four. I love it. I can't wait to do more of this. Um, I feel personally way more understanding of where people are. And I think as we get through a few more stages, I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. So I hope this for you too. I hope you're able to understand yourself better and the people that you're loving and leading around you. And maybe you're in stage three. Remember, most adults are. Own it. Own it. There's no shame in the stage. And instead, it's been like, oh, here's what I, where I'm at. Here's are the things to be mindful of. And here's what to lean into. So can't wait for other conversations. Next week, we're going to get in stage four. Super cool stuff. Thanks, friends.